Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unboxed podcast. My name is Reese, and today um, we are sticking with the big picture section of the podcast, but it's not going to be um, an episode about the events that are going on. It's going to be a look at something that I've been very interested in for a while. Um, just a part of my English GCSE on, on this uh, and I've been looking into it further since then. Um, we're talking about the system under which the United Kingdom elects our representatives and, by default, our government. Um, now, for anyone wanting more information on the current news and events, I will come back to it at some point over the next couple of days. But I really wanted to get an episode out on the first-past-the-post system. Um, and, yeah, it is how we uh, how we elect our governments and it's just an interesting thing to look into a lot of people will hold the government to account will vote against the government uh, will vote for the government uh, in various general elections but not really having the full understanding of what uh, impacts their votes will actually have on the the system of government and um, how little impact some of their votes actually have now uh, let's start with um, a little bit of a look at the system we have, which is called First Past the Post. Now, some people uh, will know it by the full name as Single Member Simple Plurality. Um, and basically, in First Past the Post, all you need to do to win a constituency or a seat in Parliament is get one more vote than uh, the candidate who gets the second highest number of votes. So um, in the UK, how this works is there are 650 elected members of parliament in the House of Commons, and all of them are uh, elected by an individual constituency. Um, And in each of those constituencies, all the candidates, they stand off uh, against each other. And it's quite simple. Whoever gets the most votes doesn't have to be half, doesn't have to reach a certain percentage. Whoever gets the most votes wins the seat. Now this comes under one of the the, the supposed benefits of the first past the post system because if um, well under this system it is it is quite uh, quite simple to get through uh, and there are various other benefits which I will come over uh, later but um, I'm gonna start with some arguments against first past the post. Um, Now this is a topic that has had a lot of debate in the United Kingdom. In 2012, there was a vote on, uh, or rather a referendum, on whether or not the UK should adopt the alternative vote system, and it was defeated, that proposition. Uh, But I think now might be a time that people will look back um, and think maybe in the voting system. One argument against the the first-past-the-post system is the issue of disproportionality. Um... In three of the last four elections, uh, and I have got some data for 2019, but it's a little bit uh, sketchier, and I haven't gone into the same level of analysis on it, so I'm going to talk about some of the ones before that. But um, in the 2015 and 2017 elections, uh, they've been labelled some of the most disproportional election results this country has ever seen. Um, In 2015, 
the Conservatives won 51% of the seats, but they actually only won 37% of the vote. Uh, And this is the second uh, smallest share of the vote to win a majority government, because in 2005, Tony Blair won a majority off of just 35% of the vote. Now, if you can control the House of Commons with a majority off of just over a third uh, and under 40% of the vote, that doesn't sound particularly good. It is very disproportionate. Uh, In Scotland, uh, in the 2015 general election, the Scottish National Party won 56 out of 59 seats, all but three seats. But they only won just over 50% of the vote. And this issue of uh, of disproportionality comes down to uh, the minor parties as well. In 2015, UKIP were the third largest party on vote share. And the Green Party were the sixth largest party on vote share. UKIP had well over a million votes and the Greens just uh, over it. UKIP and the Green Party both only got one member of Parliament. But the Liberal Democrats, who were the fourth largest party, so they got less votes than UKIP, I think were actually around three million votes, uh, won nine seats but still the fourth largest party on vote share, only winning nine seats. You just don't see that in in different countries. But the 2017 election was disproportional for a different reason. Labour and the Conservatives managed together to get 82% of all votes cast, but neither of them could form a majority government. Uh, Obviously, Theresa May falling short with 317 seats, uh, Labour getting 262. So there's a difference there of 55 seats, but only 2.4% in it in terms of the difference between the Conservative vote and the Labour vote. Scotland again saw disproportional results as the Conservatives and Labour were roughly equal on vote share, with 29% and 27% respectively. But the Conservatives won 22% of the seats, and Labour only won 12 with the Scottish National Party winning 60% of the seats, with only 37% of the vote. Now, this issue of disproportionality essentially means that people's votes are being disregarded because they uh, they don't have those uh, their election elected representatives eventually representing their votes. And this comes down to the issue of wasted votes, because in first past the post, every vote that goes to a losing candidate or serves to increase a winning candidate's majority, is a wasted vote. In the 2005 election, 48% of votes were classed as wasted votes. But in 2017, it was just shy of two-thirds of all the votes cast in the election being wasted votes. Now, this rise in wasted votes correlates to a rise in tactical voting and a seen return to the two-party system where no third party can really get into government. Obviously, the last time anything like that happened was the coalition. Um, In 2017 as well, despite two-thirds of all the votes cast being wasted votes, 
44% of all votes went specifically to losing candidates, which means that that other 22% of all votes that were wasted were just artificially increasing the majority of candidates in these safe seats. Now, uh, we, will, we will come back to safe seats later in the podcast. Due to these constituencies being single-member constituencies, there is a chronic underrepresentation of political parties in certain areas due to just a lack of concentrated support. Because, as I said earlier, if you just can't get that one vote over your nearest rival, uh, you don't win the seat. So if you don't have enough members in one specific place, you won't win the seat. In 2017, for example, Conservative members of Parliament won 10% of the available seats in the northeast of England region, but they received just over a third of all the available votes in that region. The same in the southeast, where Labour won just 10% of the region's seats, but with a vote share of 28%. And Liberal Democrats well, they were underrepresented full stop in 2017, but they in the southwest won just one out of the 55 seats. That's under 2%, but received 15% of the votes in that region. Now, this shows that the first-past-the-post system is clearly disadvantaging parties who have widespread support, but just not concentrated enough to win a seat, which means that voters for a particular political party all across uh, a nation will be disappointed as their votes essentially aren't being heard. Despite voting for these candidates, they can't get enough majorities to win in these seats. As well as this, there are large-scale regional disparities due to centres of support being where they are. The north of England is mainly Labour. The south of England is overwhelmingly Conservative, and this is because of the support being concentrated in different regions of the country. Obviously, that leads to some political tensions. Now, I said we'd come back to safe and marginal seats, and this all comes down to the issue of voter engagement. Because in first-past-the-post elections, parties concentrate their campaigns around the marginal seats, the seats they expect to be winnable. Now, this, of course, leads to varying voter engagement throughout the country, with, unsurprisingly, you'll find, the greatest levels of voter engagement being in seats that are classified ultra-marginal, and the lowest levels of engagement being in the ultra-safe category of seats. Now, this leads to a disaffecting uh, outcome on the constituents of these ultra-safe seats, because they may never see a proper party campaign. Uh, but if their MP uh, is fighting for an ultra-marginal seat, there may be every single party who comes around to knock on that voter's door, getting a real sense of constituency engagement. Now, if um, the MP is fighting for an ultra-safe seat, this can lead to a weakening of the constituent MP bond, which is so crucial and is a real benefit from first-past-the-post system. And if that constituent-to-MP bond is weakened, well, then it's another reason why the first-past-the-post system is not working. Also, in ultra-safe seats, it can lead to a rise in voter apathy, where less people turn out to vote, because basically it doesn't matter if you vote or if you don't vote, because the conclusion is predetermined. Another issue with first-past-the-post is something called plurality over majority rule. 
Because in the first-past-the-post system, you only have to defeat your nearest rival to become the MP for this constituency, it can lead to a plurality rule effect, where no candidate has the support of the majority of their constituents. This was shown uh, in striking form in the 2015 general election in the Belfast South constituency. And this is uh, the, the far end of one example, but it is a real scenario. Alastair MacDonald, the Social Democratic and Labour Party candidate, won the Belfast South constituency in 2015. He got less than a quarter of the votes in that election, and that's uh, not even including turnout figures. To have less than a quarter of the vote and yet still represent 100% of the people in that constituency? It's a little bit weird. Now, First Past the Post has also created some of the most divisive results in UK electoral history because the system has often failed to do what it's promised to do, which is mainly to secure a majority government. That's part of the selling points of First Past the Post system. I promise I will cover the positives. Uh, maybe not quite on this podcast, but definitely on a podcast. By having first-past-the-post systems, though, no second-place candidates benefit, and constituencies often end up disunited. As well as this, in the last three elections, or rather in three of the last four elections, sorry, 2010, 2015 and 2017, first-past-the-post has fundamentally misfired, with two hung parliaments um, where there was either a coalition government in 2010 or a minority government in 2017, and one majorly disproportional result in the middle of those two, the country can, can be said to be incredibly divided. This, combined with a return to two-party politics over the 2015-2017 electoral series and beyond into the 2019 electoral series, uh, has led to the country being less united than ever in the wake of a divisive referendum, where unity is perhaps most necessary. Now, as mentioned on the previous slide, or rather in the previous uh, comments I've made, I'm reading this off one of my old uh, PowerPoint presentations, uh, the winning party in a UK general election under the the first-past-the-post system receives a winner's bonus, which is also called the landslide effect. Now, this means that a relatively small lead in votes cast often correlates to a much larger lead in seats won and only on five occasions since 1945 has the landslide effect not occurred um, that includes the 2010 and 1974 the february election the hung parliaments that occurred there now the landslide effect was most keenly felt in 1997 when tony blair's new labor won only 12 and a half percent more of the vote than the conservatives 43.2 to 30.7 percent but received two and a half times the number of seats, 418 seats for Labour to 165 seats to the Conservatives. And this winner's bonus pushed the new, new Labour government into a massive landslide, which, if you look at the vote share, was just not merited. This happened again in 2019, uh, where Boris Johnson won 365 of the available seats off of 43.6% of the vote. That's just over 11% more than uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour uh, Party managed in terms of vote share, but in terms of seats, it's over 50% more. Now, uh, well, it's well over 50% more. It's nearly uh, 175% on top of the uh, 
well, on top of the, the, the government of the opposition seat total. And this winning bonus means that a fake majority is often given to a winning party, giving them a larger mandate and increased levels of legitimacy than they actually merit based off of their vote share. Also in first past the post, you get the exclusion of minor parties. Because whilst the two-party system can be alive and kicking under first-past-the-post, the health of the smaller parties, well, they're basically on life support under the first-past-the-post system. Parties such as the Liberal Democrats, who actively contest most of the seats or many of the seats in which they stand, i.e. Uh, finishing in the top two or three candidates, will therefore always receive a disproportionately low seat share for the votes they get. For the uh, Liberal Democrats, this is a particularly biting example because of the 1983 general election, where they stood as the Liberal-SDP alliance. The alliance won 25.4% of the votes, but 3.5% of the seats. As well as this, parties such as UKIP and the Green Party had large national support in 2015, with UKIP winning just shy of 4 million votes and the Greens just over 1 million votes. But they both only won one seat showing the complete disregard with which the votes for minor parties are included. This can lead to a chronic underrepresentation of the minor parties, with voters who support them often then drifting back to major parties in order to have their voices heard, perpetuating a two-party political system under first-past-the-post. A final point against first-past-the-post is a rise in adversarial politics, because the first-past-the-post system means it's almost more important to beat your opponent than to win yourself. As a direct result of there being only one winner per constituency, the first-past-the-post system gives a rise to adversarial politics, where constituents often vote against a political party rather than in favour of a different one. This rise in adversarial politics in the UK has seen to a doubling in the level of tactical voting from 2010 to 2015, where an estimated 20% of the electorate voted tactically in an effort to prevent one party or another to take their constituency seat. It's also led to an increasingly vitriolic nature of political debate and discussion, as candidates and leaders feel the need to attack their opponents rather than promote themselves in being the best strategy to win the seats required to form a government. Now, I've been quite negative towards First Past the Post in this uh, episode of the podcast. There are some benefits to the system, and I will go over them in the next podcast where I talk about voting systems. Uh, I will also list some of the possible alternatives to first past the post uh, in future podcasts but this has been uh, all we have time for today on the politics unbox podcast so i want to thank you very much for listening i hope to see you all around again soon for the next episode Uh, until then goodbye (laughs) 